one of the fascinating features of Jesus' ministry is how often he seeks to keep his messianic identity a secret until the time is right. Theologians sometimes call this the messianic secret. Now granted, Jesus was not entirely secretive about his identity. Sometimes he made very bold public statements. But in general, on the whole, he doesn't reveal his identity uh, publicly the way he does in a constant fashion, nor does he want others to do the same. The Gospel of Mark particularly highlights this messianic secret. For example, in chapter 1, Jesus heals a leper and then charges this man not to tell anyone about him. Then in chapter 5, Jesus raises a young girl from the dead and Jesus tells his, her family, the three disciples with him, not to tell anybody. Chapter 7, Jesus heals a deaf and mute man and then instructs the observers not to tell anybody. In chapter 8, Jesus heals a blind man and says not to tell anybody. Also in chapter 8, Peter makes his great confession that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus turns around and tells them, do not tell anybody that you know this. Chapter 9, Jesus transfigures himself before Peter, James, and John. And he tells them, don't tell anybody about what you have just seen until after the resurrection. Even when the demons confess Jesus' identity, in Mark chapter 3, Jesus silences them and says not to tell anybody. Anybody see a pattern here? So why is Jesus secretive about his identity? Well, he doesn't want to thwart his mission of redemption and have people prematurely proclaiming that he was Messiah. You see, the Jews were hoping for a political Messiah who would come and kick the Romans out of the promised land, right? In fact, in the past 600 years, for a lot of that, Jerusalem was under the authority of foreign powers. Jesus did not want that label, and so he distanced himself from that title, Messiah. He didn't want too much conflict too soon. He did not want that, and he wanted enough time to spread his kingdom for three years and to train up the apostles to take the mantle when he would leave. But now, he is ready. And he's going to visit Jerusalem one last time. Jerusalem, of course, was the the headquarters, if you will, of the Jewish religious establishment. And they did not like Jesus. Whenever Jesus visited there, the sparks would fly. Okay, But now, Jesus knows that he is at the end of his redemptive mission. He had already told the disciples numerous times that he was going to die when he came into Jerusalem. And so now, the time is here. And he is going to declare that he is the Messiah in both his actions and his words. No more secret. No more secret. And that brings us to today, Palm Sunday.
Palm Sunday is the day that begins the final week of Jesus' life, what is sometimes called the Passion Week. All four Gospels focus a lot on the Passion Week. They recognize that this week was the reason why Jesus came to this world. He came to bring reconciliation between God and humanity in fulfillment of the Old Testament. And so the events of this week take on great significance all throughout the week, but particularly as the week closes with the death and resurrection of Christ. Of the four Gospels, Mark focuses the most on this Passion Week. In fact, uh, scholars estimate that about one-third of his entire Gospel is just devoted to this last week of Jesus' life. Sometimes it's said that the Gospel of Mark is basically the Passion Week with a long introduction. I mean, it just focuses on this last week. So today, we're going to read Mark's account of Palm Sunday, what Sam referred to earlier as the triumphal entry as Jesus comes into the city of Jerusalem for the last time in this triumphant fashion. So our passage is going to have two parts. Jesus' preparation for Jerusalem, and then Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem. Now along the way, we're going to have a lot of different cross-references so we can kind of take in the full picture here. So turn to Mark chapter 11, if you haven't done so already. Using, if you're using one of the Bibles in front of you, page 847. 847. Alright, so the first part is Jesus' preparation for Jerusalem. Let's read verse 1 together. It says, now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples. So as it says, they they went to Jerusalem. They they drew near to it. The they is probably Jesus, his disciples, as well as the different pilgrims who were traveling along celebrating Passover. Mark doesn't identify the two places, or excuse me, he does identify the two places where Jesus stayed. He mentions Bethphage, which was right outside the city of Jerusalem, and he also mentions Bethany, which was two miles away. Jesus apparently stayed at Bethany during the week. This is where Mary, Lazarus, and Martha lived, okay? And he would stay there at their house. Now, of course, when you hear that name Lazarus, what do you think of, right? Jesus, in John 11, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead very recently. And so everyone would have had that incredible miracle still fresh in their minds. Now, Matthew specifically tells us that it was when Jesus came to Bethphage that he stopped there and then he sent two disciples ahead of him. Luke tells us that those disciples were Peter and John. And they were given instructions. Let's read what those instructions were in verses 2 to 6. And Jesus said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street and they untied it and some of those standing there said to them what are you doing untying the colt and they told them what Jesus had said and they let them go so Jesus 
he doesn't tell us how he knows that there's going to be a colt there. And a colt was a, a young male donkey in the next village that had never been ridden and that they were going to be fine just letting them take away this colt. Perhaps Jesus, maybe he had already made arrangements since the village was nearby, or maybe this was a case of Jesus using his omniscience, right? Which he had already displayed in saying that I'm going to die in Jerusalem to his disciples. Regardless, though, notice that Jesus makes these specific plans about his notable entrance here to Jerusalem. Now, what's also very interesting is that it's quite possible that there were two notable entrances into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Some scholars make the intriguing claim that the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, he also entered uh, Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, but he would have come from the opposite entrance, the west side there. Pilate lived in Caesarea about 60 miles away, but he would come to Jerusalem during these major religious festivals to make sure everything was peaceful and calm, right? And he would also bring in uh, some of his reinforcements as with him. And so when Pilate came into the city, you can only imagine it, right? There would be horses, there would be soldiers, there would be weapons, and so forth. Pilate's entrance would be symbolic of worldly kingdoms, right? Jesus' entrance would be symbolic of the messianic kingdom that was on its way. That leads to the second part of our passage. Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem. Jesus makes a bold statement to Jerusalem and its religious leaders about his true identity. Again, no more secret, okay? Now he is declaring it. Let's read verses 7 to 10 together. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it. And he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road. And others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. So I want you to see here two elements that in the story that highlight why this event was so significant. Number one, Jesus' actions declare he is the coming Messiah. His actions declare he's the coming Messiah. He doesn't say it verbally here, but his actions are crystal clear. Crystal clear. Specifically, him riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. You say, what does that matter? Maybe he was just tired, right? So he gets on a donkey because he was tired. I don't think that was the concern of Jesus at this point. As you read the Gospels, Jesus is walking around all the time, isn't he? He's walking around in the desert. He's walking up and down mountainous slopes. He just walked from Galilee, which was about 100 miles away. Scholars estimate that he, he, just conservatively estimate that he walked about 15,000 miles. I don't think he needed help <laughs> making that last mile into Jerusalem. There's something more going on here, right? 
You say, why a donkey? Well, it wasn't the case that all the luxury horses were rented out and all that was left was an economical donkey. There was more going on. Jesus rode a donkey to demonstrate to his Jewish brethren that he was the promised Messiah. You see, in about 500 B.C., there was a prophet named Zechariah, and he uttered these words in Zechariah 9.9 about the future Messiah. He said, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So I want to be clear about something. Jesus did not ride the donkey to become the Messiah. But precisely because he is the Messiah, he rode the donkey into Jerusalem. He came to fulfill Scripture, even a seemingly pretty insignificant point that it had to be uh, a colt that he would ride into. So Jesus is declaring he is the Messiah. Did you follow that? And this, was, this would have been very powerful to the religious establishment because, you see, they would have been the teachers of the Old Testament and they would have known exactly what Jesus was saying. And I'm sure that his message hit home, probably infuriated them all the more. Jesus was throwing down the gauntlet, so to speak. Okay? No more messianic secret. By the way, the prophecy speaks about the humility of the king. Jesus wasn't humbled by riding a donkey. Okay? Um, kings would often ride donkeys. It talks about his character, that he's humble in his character, not his mode of transportation. But I want you to see that Jesus was declaring with his actions, he is coming into the city of Jerusalem as the Messiah, okay? As the Messiah. So also, a second important element of Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem is the crowds declare that Jesus is the coming Messiah. You've got you to remember here, this, this crowd would have been enormous, okay? Enormous crowd. Jerusalem usually had about thirty to 40,000 people inside of its walls. But when they had these major festivals, that population could grow by ten times, okay? So there would have been an enormous amount of people, and they would have been surrounding Jesus. You see, Jesus, in the other Gospels, we learned that he had just uh, healed blind Bartimaeus. And so that would have been very exciting for the crowds to see. We also read in John 12 that there were people coming out of Jerusalem because they had heard about him raising Lazarus from the dead. So you got people around Jesus excited, people coming out of Jerusalem to see him. Everybody would have been excited. And the crowds declare... Several things, or they, they, they declare Jesus is the coming Messiah in several ways. They spread their cloaks on the road. Why did they do that? That's just a way of showing kind of honor to a royalty, paying homage, rolling out the red carpet, so to speak. They also put branches on the, the road there. The Greek word used for, is, is for leafy branches or tall grass. The purpose was to lay out kind of this festive ground cover for Jesus. 
the Gospel of John tells us that they were using palm branches. There we go. That's where we get the name Palm Sunday. Because of the palm branches. You say, why were they doing this? Well, the palm branch symbolized victory. Symbolized victory over an enemy. And so the people hoped that Jesus was going to bring victory over their enemy, the Romans, right? This is what they were hoping for. And when you keep in mind, what were they here for? They were here for Passover when they celebrated how God delivered them in times past. The excitement would have just been very, very tangible in the air. And the people, they shout praises. They shout Hosanna which was a Hebrew word which meant save me, or excuse me, save us now. Now by Jesus' day, it would become kind of like a shout of praise, like hallelujah. They were shouting the praise of God. They quote Psalm 118, verse 26, which says, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The crowds also shout, Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. So the crowds... They think Jesus is the Messiah, and they're connecting him to the son of David promises that the Messiah would come from the line of David, right? He had just healed Bartimaeus, and Bartimaeus calls him the son of David. And we see in some of the other Gospels how they're connecting him to the son of David. Matthew says they were calling him son of David. John mentions that they were saying the king of Israel. Notice how, though, Jesus does something different. He doesn't silence anybody, does he? He doesn't say, oh, you guys, got to be quiet now. Don't tell anybody. No more secret. He's receiving for the first time their acclamation to be the king. He is coming into his city. And he doesn't tell the crowds to be quiet anymore. In fact, in Luke's gospel, the religious leaders come along and they say, to Jesus, hey, quiet them down, quiet them down. Do you remember what Jesus told them? He said, even if I do, the rocks would cry out. That's how significant this event was. The rocks would cry out. The city was all abuzz about Jesus. In fact, in Matthew 21.10, it says that the whole city was stirred. The Greek word for stirred is the word we get our word seismic, which we use for earthquakes, okay? The city was rocking. Everything seems perfect, doesn't it? Jesus declares his identity. The crowds do the same. This is what we've been waiting for. However, there were major problems beneath the surface. The crowds did not understand Jesus' true identity and the significance of this event. What makes me say that? Let me tell you two things. First of all, the Jerusalem crowd was unfamiliar with Jesus. In Matthew 21, 10 and 11, when Jesus enters the city, the accompanying crowd coming down from Galilee, they say, the, the Jerusalem say, crowd says, who is this? The crowd responds, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. So that question reveals that the Jerusalem crowd 
was not as familiar with Jesus. And of course, during Jesus' ministry, he did visit Jerusalem, but where did he spend the, the majority of his time? He spent it, and the majority of his time was up in Galilee, right? He knew the religious establishment wanted him out. And so he made periodic visits, but he did not spend his time, most of his time, down there. And also, there was a really strong divide between the Jews in Judea and the Jews in Galilee. I'm going to throw a map up on the screen really quick up there. Down at the lower part, you see Judea there in capital letters. You go up to the top, you see Galilee. So they were separated geographically. And in between them, you also see Samaria, which was a hostile area to the Jews and vice versa. And so they had this geographical separation. And you also had down in Judea, that was where the temple was. That's where the religious establishment was. And when you go up to Galilee, there were devout Jews, but they were also surrounded by Gentile communities. And it was common for the Judean Jews to look down on the Galilean Jews. Keep all of this in mind about the Jerusalem response. They were a little bit unfamiliar with Jesus. They had a natural ambivalence toward the Galileans. And the religious establishment was entrenched there in Jerusalem that they had been affected by. Second, the crowds did not understand the concept of a suffering Messiah. And by crowds, I'm talking about the Jerusalem crowds and the Galilean crowds. They were excited. They were excited about a Messiah who was going to come in and kick out the Romans, right? That is what they were hoping for. But there were also Old Testament prophecies that said the Messiah would also suffer and die before he came to conquer. He would, he would suffer and die. So in general, the Jews did not understand that there would be two comings of the Messiah. And that is the key issue. Do you see that? And in a sense, they were cheering for the wrong Messiah. They were missing it. Even the disciples who knew that Jesus was the Messiah, they got it. They still didn't understand the true significance of the event, that he was heading for the cross. It's like it just wasn't registering in their minds. He told them he was going. They're like, oh yeah, but whatever. John 12, 16 says of this event, his disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. So all the while, Jesus is going into Jerusalem. He knows that there are major problems underneath the surface. He says in Luke chapter 9, verse 41 to 44, some words that we need to remember. It says, when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because, they, because you did not know the time of your visitation. Jesus predicts Jerusalem's future demise, and he pinpoints the reason. 
He was not there to deliver them from the Romans. He was there to deliver them from sin and eternal judgment. They did not understand the things that would make for peace, for salvation, and it broke his heart. He wept over the city. So when we say that this is the triumphal entry, it was so for Jesus. It was so for Jesus. Since he was rightly declaring that he was the Messiah, he was the king, and he was going to bring salvation. However, for the crowds, they didn't get it. It was not the triumphal entry by the end of the week. They affirmed that Jesus, uh, the, the right things about Jesus, but they did not understand what they were saying. Their understanding of Jesus was just fundamentally different than what Jesus taught in fulfillment of the Old Testament. So all of those factors you got to keep in mind, church, will come into play when by the end of the week, this crowd that went from shouting Hosanna will shout, crucify Him. So what does Palm Sunday mean to us 2,000 years later? Well, to start... As I just said, Jesus' triumph, his entry was truly triumphant. It really was triumphant. The Old Testament had long predicted the Messiah's death. Jesus came here to die. He had been warning the disciples three times at least in the Gospel of Mark. This is what is going to happen. This is what's going to happen. That was his mission, and he came to accomplish his mission. He came to seek and to save the lost, right, church? And that is exactly what, his, what he did. There was no other way for our sin to be forgiven and for our sins to be atoned for. We need someone to stand in our place who will take away our sin. And we need someone else's righteousness because we don't have a perfect righteousness. And because Jesus loves us so much, please hear this. That is exactly what he did. He entered the city to declare his kingship and he defeated sin and death. The true enemies of humanity. The Romans are not the true enemies of humanity. or Whatever human army it might be or political entity, the true enemies of humanity are sin and death. And Jesus defeated them when he came into Jerusalem that week, by the end of the week, he stood victorious. He accomplished his mission of redemption. He was not thwarted. He was victorious. So church, we should celebrate his victory. Amen? We should celebrate his victory. Not just today, but every day. We should live with palm branches in hand. Amen? Amen? Grab that palm branch, right? Wave it around. We are victorious. Romans 8.37 says, We are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Because of what Jesus did, we are guaranteed an eternity with God, fellowshipping with Him, 
fellowshipping with all the saints throughout the ages, living in resurrected, glorified bodies. And so now we can face hardship, persecution, sickness, and death because of that triumphal entry. Let us go back to that day. Now, if you have never accepted what Scripture says about the Messiah, may today be the day that you cry out, Hosanna, save me, I pray. Save me, I pray. Call to the Lord to save you from your sin. And He will. He will. And yes, each person needs to be saved from their sin because sin separates us from a righteous creator and judge. And God will bring judgment one day. You know, what happened in Jerusalem is kind of just a glimpse, a foreshadowing of what will happen in the future. Jesus predicted it, and it's, exact, it's amazing how it unfolded. I mean, Jerusalem was completely wiped out as far as the stones not even being left one on another. It was completely wiped out in about 40 years. Jesus says over and over again, I'm going to return. I'm going to return. I'm going to return. Are you ready for his return? Are you ready for his return? Because he will bring judgment. But here is the good news. Just like with Jerusalem, first, Jesus offers peace. He offers peace. And today is the day where you are given that opportunity to have peace with God. Don't you want peace with God? I didn't have peace with God until I was 21 years old. And I can tell you this that there is nothing you can do to give you peace like peace with God. You have to be made right with your maker and your redeemer. You can look all over this world. You can spend all the money you want to spend and you will never find peace until you find Christ. And Jesus so lovingly, so graciously is offering peace to all who hear this message today. But you do have to receive it on His terms. And His terms are this. He says you must turn from your sin. You need to see that it's really wrong and that you want to start living for God. No more excuses. Not to say you're perfect, but you start seeing, you know what, I need to do a spiritual U-turn and go this way. That's what repentance means. And it also means that we place our faith in Christ. That you know what? We do see the real reason why Jesus came into Jerusalem that Sunday. We're not blind to that anymore. He came for me. He came for me. And He came for you. Not to kick out the Romans, but to give us victory over sin and death. And if you believe that He is who He claimed to be, God in human flesh, the Messiah of the world, He will do exactly that. Romans 10.9 promises, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Claim that promise today. I invite every single person here in this room, make sure you know that you have peace with God through Jesus Christ, your Lord. Today can be the day of salvation. What a great day to do that, amen? This day when we celebrate the victory of Christ, may it be a victory for you in your life. Let us pray.
Lord Jesus, we thank You for this day, this Palm Sunday. We pray that You would make what we have read and heard today fresh in our hearts and our minds. Hosanna. Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. Lord, I pray if there's someone here today who's never trusted You It's never been clear who you are and why you came into this world. That today they will become your follower, your disciple, and experience peace with God. And Lord, as your church, oh God, we want to celebrate you today. We want to celebrate you today. We get excited about many things in life that are great, and we should. But as your people, we should celebrate today. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for the victory that you have brought. We rejoice. We declare from the depths of our beings, thank you, thank you, thank you. And may we never get over what Christ did for us when he rode triumphantly into Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday. We thank you and we praise you. And it's in Jesus' name we ask all of these things. Amen.